Good morning again, everybody, and welcome to Alpine Church. It is great to be with you guys here this morning. My name is John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor up at the Alpine Logan campus, and I'm really excited to be back in Riverdale and back with you guys today. And I'm also excited to be kicking off this new sermon series that we've titled, In Case You Missed It. Now, before we jump into that, I just want to say a couple of things. Number one, again, if you're here for the first time, we're so grateful that you're here. We're so excited that you're worshiping with us today. We hope you feel right at home. And number two, during this series, we really are encouraging everyone to get connected to a small group. And so if you're not already connected to one, I would encourage you to either come up after the service, we'll have small group leaders up front, or go to that Discover Alpine class that Pastor Eric mentioned so you can find out more about what groups are available, when they meet, etc. You know, one of the great things about being a part of a small group is during those small group discussions, you will likely pick up some things that you missed on Sunday morning. So what better series to dip your toes in the water and, and see what you think about small groups than a series called In Case You Missed It. Now, one of the reasons I've been so excited about this series and looking forward to it is that a lot of these Old Testament stories that we're going to cover were really formative in my life as a kid. I grew up in a home where I was blessed that we went to church every Sunday. I had some great Sunday school teachers when I was little. They really made a lot of these Old Testament stories come alive for me. Uh, in fact, I was never really intimidated by bullies growing up because of the story of David and Goliath. From the time I was young, I knew I was going to name my oldest son Caleb because of the courage and the faith Caleb exhibited even when almost everyone else around him was scared. When I was little, my siblings accused me of being my dad's favorite. So the first time I heard the story about Joseph and the coat of many colors, I knew to keep my mouth shut and not talk about my dreams, or I might end up in a pit and sold to slave traders, right? But they were really informative to me. But as I've gotten older and spent more time in the Bible, I've noticed how so many of these Old Testament stories point to Jesus. That really the entire Bible is the story about Jesus, about God's redemptive plan. Maybe you've missed that. So we're going to really focus on pulling the thread of the gospel through each and every one of these stories because it's in there. Because the whole Bible points to Jesus. And when you see that, you're probably going to wonder, how did I miss that before? It's kind of like what a good plot twist at the end of a movie does to us, right? I don't know if we have any movie fans out there, but you get to the end of it and you're like, how did I not see that coming? How did I miss that? And I think the movie that had me scratching my head the most going, how in the world did I not see that was The Sixth Sense. Any of you guys remember that movie? Well, I'm going to spoil it for you, but it came out in 1999. So really, if you haven't seen it by now, that's kind of on you, right? <laughs> okay, but in this movie, The Sixth Sense, this young boy can see dead people. Now, I never said this was biblically sound, <laughs> but he sees dead people. And so Bruce Willis is this therapist who comes along and tries to help this young boy kind of cope with this ability. And he tells the kid that I think the reason you're seeing these dead people is that they need help from you. And so he encourages the little boy to start helping people and he starts to do that. And then gradually things get better and he starts to learn how to cope with this. And then you get to the end of the movie and you find out that Bruce Willis's character was dead the whole time. Now, maybe some of you guys guessed that, but I never saw that coming. I was like, what? 
I even went back and rewound it and watched it again because I was sure that he had had interactions with other characters in the movie, but he didn't. And I remember going, how did I miss that? And I think as we go through this series, you're going to see some things that you're going to scratch your head and go, how did I miss that? So let's jump into week one of In Case You Missed It, and we're looking at the snake on a pole. So today's message, we're looking at a story from the book of Numbers. And it's a very short story. In fact, it's only six verses. It would be really easy to miss this story and the significance of it. But we see how important it is based on something Jesus says in the New Testament. So we're going to pick up in the New Testament with probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible, John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is a verse that probably all of you have heard. In fact, many of you probably have this verse memorized. In the context of it, Jesus is talking to a Jewish leader named Nicodemus. He's telling that he must be born again. And one of the reasons this is such a famous verse is because it has several key points of the gospel in it. And it tells us how we can have eternal life by looking to Jesus, by trusting in him, by believing in him. But I want to back up one verse to John 3.15. Because when Jesus was having this conversation, right, it was all part of one conversation with Nicodemus. And this is what Jesus says in John 3.15. He says, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So here in John 3, 15, Jesus references this incident all the way back in Numbers 21. And we see that it's foreshadowing, right? That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is more than just a great literary work. We know that the Bible is literally God-breathed. But like many great literary works, the Bible uses foreshadowing throughout the Old Testament to give us a glimpse of something that's yet to come. In most cases, that's a glimpse, glimpse, excuse me, to Jesus. See, Jesus said, as the bronze snake was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And just like in the wilderness, if they looked to the bronze snake, God would save them, so too if you and I will simply look to Jesus, he brings salvation. So if you have your Bibles with you or have your Bible app on you, go ahead and open that up and let's go to Numbers chapter 21 and dig into the text. It says, Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak out against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. So let's take just a second and talk about the backstory that leads up to this passage because context is always important. So the nation of Israel had been in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. They were slaves there, and then God called Moses to lead them out of captivity and into the promised land. And God performs all these amazing miracles to make that happen. He brings the plagues upon the Egyptians. He parts the Red Sea. He leads them with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. It's miracle after miracle after miracle. 
And for the most part, the Israelites grumbled and complained the whole way. And then he brings them to the edge of the promised land. And they're about to go in, but they don't trust that God will deliver the land into their hands. So he makes them wander an additional 40 years in the wilderness until that generation of Israelites dies. And now he's bringing them back a second time. This is where we pick up this story. They're coming back to the edge of the promised land the second time around. The passage says in verse 4 that they took the road around the land of Edom. And they had to do that because as they approached Edom, Edom came out with their armies and wouldn't let them go through. So it's a long journey and they're starting to get impatient. They start to grumble and complain. And it says that the nation of Israel spoke out against God and Moses. And in this case, we see that this generation of Israelites is even more brazen in their sin than the generation that just died in the wilderness. Because prior to this, there are eight times in Scripture that says the Israelites spoke out against Moses or spoke out against Moses and Aaron. But never before in Scripture, up until this verse, does it say they spoke out against God. But now they directly speak out against God and against Moses. And it's the same old whining and complaining they've been doing for over 40 years. I'm sure at times Moses wanted to just scream, can't you give it a rest? Like they took, are we there yet? To a whole nother level, right? They were constantly grumbling and complaining. They even gripe about the miraculous way that God has provided for their needs by giving them manna every morning. But before you and I get too critical of the Israelites, how often have you and I complained about the way God has provided for us? See, this second generation of Israelites had the same core problem the first generation had, the same core problem that we have, and that problem is sin. I know sin is kind of a churchy word, but here's our working definition for sin. Sin is trusting and acting on your own opinions and feelings rather than trusting and acting on God's truth. And that sin separates us from a perfect righteous and holy God. But the beauty of this story is it foreshadows God's solution to our sin problem. Let's continue on with the story. So it says, So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. I want you to see that it says the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. God was behind this. Now, God wasn't throwing a temper tantrum. And we just finished our, our parenting survival series. And one of the things we talked about often in that series is that God is a perfect father. And as a perfect father, God disciplines those that he loves. There were consequences to the sin of the Israelites, just like there are consequences to our sin. Thankfully, the Israelites recognized their part. They said, we have sinned. We have spoken out against you and against God. They humbled themselves before the Lord. See, God knew that sending those snakes would draw the people back to himself. God is a loving God, and he disciplines those he loves. He also knew that they needed to take sin seriously as they headed into the promised land or they wouldn't hold it. 
They wouldn't keep it if they didn't take sin seriously and obey his commands that he had given them. So often when you and I are dealing with consequences of sin or with just foolish choices we've made, we don't recognize our part in it. We just want to point our finger at God and say, God, why did you do this? Or why did you allow this to happen? But we don't recognize it's often because of sin or foolish choices. You know, Proverbs 19.3 says, A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. I see that so often in our culture today. The people are suffering the consequences of their own choices, but their heart rages against God. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you're dealing with something right now that's a result of of your own choices, a result of your own sin, but you've raged against God over it. I just want you to know that even now, God still loves you. God still wants a relationship with you, and God will still bring forgiveness and healing and restoration if you'll just simply humble yourself and come before him and say, God, I'm sorry I've sinned against you. He brings healing and he brings rescue. We'll see what happened next. Verses 8 and 9, Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. A couple of things jump out at me in this part of the story. The first thing is, what if Moses had disobeyed? What if Moses would have said, God, they're not going to do it. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to say, there's no way looking at this snake on a pole can heal me. If Moses would have disobeyed, think of the consequences that would have had for the Israelites. That's a sobering reminder for me that my obedience or lack thereof has consequences for people other than just myself. As a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, if I'm disobedient, that has consequences for people other than just me. The other thing I see is that God didn't answer their prayer in the way that they asked him to. They told Moses, please ask God to take the snakes away, but God didn't take the snakes away. Instead, God said, nope, I'm going to give you an opportunity to step out in faith and trust me, and I'll bring you through it. He didn't take the snake, so he just said, simply look to the snake on a pole, and you won't die. I'll rescue you. See, God knows what is best for us, and he isn't obligated to answer our prayers in the way that you and I think he should. And I say that because I'm sure some of you right now are praying that God would take some snakes out of your life. Maybe it's financial pressure. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a relationship that's just causing you grief. And I can't promise you that God will take that snake away. But I can promise you this, if you'll look to him, he will bring you through it. The last thing that jumps out at me in these verses is that God told the people to simply look at the snake if they were bitten. He didn't tell them to clean the wound. He didn't tell him to try and suck out the poison. He didn't tell him to put a tourniquet on it and make sure you keep it lower than your heart. He just said simply look at the snake, the same way you and I are to simply look at Jesus Christ to be forgiven for our sins. They had to trust that God would heal them by simply looking to the snake on the pole. That brings us to the next point in the sermon. 
God's instructions to Moses were confusing for two reasons. Snakes were bad, and so were idols. It took simple faith for the Israelites to obey. See, all throughout the Old Testament, snakes are associated with evil. You know, the first time we see the devil show up on the scene in the garden, he's described as a serpent. It was the serpent who tempted Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when that happened, God said, there will be hostility between your offspring and the woman's offspring. Snakes were evil. And then the second thing that was confusing is this could easily be turned into an idol. And we know from the Ten Commandments that God had just given the Israelites that idols were wrong, right? The second commandment forbids any sort of idol. And I think this is important for us to clearly hear what God tells us. Because God didn't tell them to make the snake into an idol. He just said to simply look at it. He never told them to worship it. He never told them to pray to it. He never told them to offer sacrifices to it. They were to simply look at it. And I find that God often gives instructions that seem to be confusing. This certainly wasn't the last set of instructions God gave the Israelites that were confusing. You know, shortly after this story, they're heading in to take over Jericho. I bet that meeting with the military leaders went over real well. Joshua's like, hey guys, I got a plan. For the first six days, we're going to walk around the city and basically we're going to play a concert. We're going to blast the ram's horns. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around it seven times and we're going to play so loudly, the whole city is just going to crumble and we'll take it. <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. Or when Gideon had to whittle down his army from thousands of soldiers to 300, and God said, now you're ready to go fight. Or even some of the instructions Jesus gave in the New Testament that seemed confusing, right? And we spit in the dirt and then rubbed that mud on a blind man's eyes and said, now go wash. And that guy had to be thinking, what's going on here? Or when he told them to roll the stone away from Lazarus' tomb and they objected and said, but Jesus, it's, it's going to stink. Jesus often gives us confusing instructions so that we'll simply step out in faith and trust him. So this morning, what confusing thing is God asking you to do? Is he asking you to fight for a marriage that right now is bringing you more grief than joy? Is he asking you to disciple a coworker even though you're scared? Is he asking you to give financially to the kingdom of God even though things are tight? I don't know what confusing thing he's asking you to do, but I know if you do it, if you step out in faith, he is faithful. And when you see him be faithful, it'll be easier to step out in faith the next time he asks you to do something that doesn't make sense according to the world's wisdom. That leads us to our next point. The bronze snake foreshadowed God's plan for saving humanity. Jesus became sin for those bitten by sin so that we would be rescued by looking to the cross. See, these little six verses in the book of Numbers point to the most significant event in human history. God taking on flesh, living a perfect life, going to the cross and becoming sin for us so that we could have a relationship with our perfect creator. And you think we're stretching it just a little bit to say this foreshadows the cross. Again, I would just remind you that's exactly what Jesus said in John 3.15. So now that you know a little bit about the backstory that Jesus is talking about, let's go back to John 3.15 and John 3.16 and just review what he said to Nicodemus. 
This is Jesus talking. He said, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. See, it doesn't seem from the text in Numbers that every Israelite was bitten by a snake. But every one of us is bitten by sin. And just like the Israelites who were bitten had to look at the snake, we have to look at Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for salvation. And just like with the Israelites, God was just to leave them in their condition, but he didn't. God is just to leave us in our condition, but he didn't. Thankfully, in his grace and his mercy, he demonstrated love for us. That's what I love about our God. He doesn't just talk about love. He demonstrated love on the cross. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He gave his one and only son. And just like salvation for the Israelites when they were bitten by the snake didn't involve them doing anything, it just involved them looking to that bronze snake on a pole. So for us, there's nothing we can do to earn it. We have to simply look to the cross. Simply believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he went to the cross for us. Paul understood that. This is how Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes, For God made Christ who never sinned to become sin itself so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, this is really interesting to me. The Israelites who were bitten by a snake had to look at a snake to be healed. And that doesn't even really make sense. Like to our human wisdom, I don't even really get that. And you and I have been bitten by sin. And we have to look to sin to be healed, right? It says that Jesus was made sin itself. So the Israelites were bitten by a snake. They had to look at a snake. You and I are bitten by sin. We have to look to sin. Jesus Christ on the cross made sin itself. And I know if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you're thinking, that doesn't even make sense. That's crazy. Why would God do that? Why would God allow Jesus to go through that? That's so humiliating. That's so degrading. I don't understand it. But that was God's plan all along. God's plan before the foundations of the world. God's plan all the way back in Numbers 21 when he foreshadowed it with the story of the Israelites. And if you're struggling to understand that plan, you're not alone. This is what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. There's just something about the gospel that doesn't resonate with our human wisdom. I wonder how many Israelites were bitten by a snake and died because they refused to look at the pole. I'll guarantee you there were some. There were some who were bitten and said, no, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to figure out a way to beat this on my own. I'm going to earn this. I'm not just going to simply trust God and look at the pole. And believe me, if that's what they chose to do, they died. And in the same way, if you reject God's plan of salvation for dealing with your sin, you will die in your sin and you'll be eternally separated from your creator. You may be thinking, well, it can't be that easy. There's no way it can just be simply looking to Jesus and what he did on the cross, but that's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says that you can't earn it. 
that none of us are worthy, that we're only saved because of God's grace. That's why it's called grace. It's his undeserved favor. Now, there's one other thing that you may have missed from the story. I just want to wrap up with this. It says, later in history, the snake on a pole became an idol. And this is a reminder that God's message can get corrupted in future generations. Now, I'm going to show you that passage in just a minute where it became an idol, but this is such a good warning for us. Because I can promise you, if we're not careful, there are people out there who try to distort God's message. See, a lot of people take something that God originally intended for good, like this snake on a pole, and they twist it, and they distort it. That's what Satan has to do, because Satan can't create something from nothing. Only God can do that. If we look at the creation story all the way back in Genesis when it talks about God created the heavens and the earth, he created something out of nothing. But the devil can't do that. He has to take something that's already created and he has to twist it and he has to distort it. So we're going to fast forward from the book of Numbers all the way to the book of 2 Kings. And this is where we read this. It says, Hezekiah removed the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was called the Nehushtan. Now this is long after the Israelites had taken the promised land. In fact, this is over 500 years after the Israelites entered the promised land. In fact, by this time, the nation of Israel had been divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And so if you back up just a little bit in chapter 18, You'll see that Hezekiah is listed as the king of Judah, which was the southern kingdom. And it says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, so he started cleaning house. He started getting rid of all the wicked things that had popped up in the southern kingdom. And one of the things that he did is he broke the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. And if you look in your reference notes next to this word, Nehushtan, it'll tell you that the original Hebrew word sounds like the words for both bronze and snake. See, the people were never told to pray to the idol. They were never told to offer sacrifices to it. They were never told to worship it. They were simply told to look at it if they got bitten by a poisonous snake in the wilderness. But we are so prone in our sin and brokenness to do that, to only listen to God half-heartedly or to take something God said and twist it and distort it. I mean, I see that around us all the time. I, anyone that knows me knows that I love to spend time in the mountains. I, I really genuinely often feel closer to God when I'm up in the woods than, than any other place. And I think God's creation is a great thing, and I think he gave it to us to bless us. But when we start worshiping creation instead of the creator, that's idolatry. That's distorted, and people do that all the time. Or even recreation in general. Like recreation is a great thing. God gave it to us to bless us and to give us rest. But when you make recreation the main thing, that's distorted. It's an idol. If we're not careful, we can even do that with religion. We come to church. We sing the songs. We wear the cross around our neck or we have a t-shirt that has it on it. But have we made religion an idol? We forgot about the simple message behind the cross, that we're broken and we need to simply look to Jesus to be saved. See, God in his word says that if we look to Jesus, who was raised on a pole, 
the cross will have salvation just like the Israelites did in the wilderness. And so I want to end with this last question. Do you recognize you've been bitten by sin? And will you look to Jesus alone for salvation? So I'd imagine there's some of you in here who've been coming to Alpine for weeks, months, maybe even years. But if you're honest with yourself, you recognize you've never really looked to Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. You've always tried to tweak it. You've always tried to earn it. You've tried to serve harder. You've tried to be a little better than your buddy. Guys, that is not the gospel. The gospel is that you are utterly broken and you can't fix it. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, lifted his son up on a pole and made him to become sin for us so that you and I could have eternal life with him. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I just want to invite you to do that today. And in fact, I just, I just want to lead you into prayer. So I'm going to ask everybody just to close your eyes, everybody bow your head. And if you've never done that, would you pray a prayer like this, just something similar to this. Lord God, I recognize that I'm broken. I recognize that I've acted on my own, own thoughts and opinions and feelings instead of your truth. And I know, God, that I cannot fix it on my own. But God, I thank you that you demonstrated your love for me personally by raising your son up on a pole, by making him sin for me so that I could have a relationship with you. And I trust in that. I trust that what Jesus did is enough. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And God, I surrender to you. I want all of you. And I would just encourage you, if you just praise that, uh, prayed that prayer, just slowly lift your hand up so that Pastor Eric would know. We'd love to have Pastor Eric or another leader at the church follow up and help you take the next step in your journey. The Bible says that if you just prayed that prayer with the right information, with the right attitude, that you are now a new creation. That God has come in, the Holy Spirit indwells you now and the old is gone. So we'd love to help you take the next step on that journey, what that looks like and what that means now. For those of us who have already done that, my prayer for us is that as we're in this series, we would see how the thread of the gospel is woven through each of these stories. That we wouldn't forget the simple truth that it's all about looking to Jesus. And so Jesus, it's in your name we pray because you deserve the highest honor. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. We love you and we ask all this in your name. Amen.